Good morning. How are y'all doing? Yeah? That cold weather can't get you down? I, I love that Dylan started talking about the weather. He is an old man at soul. If you've been with us, you know that I often track the weather as an older man. What? Old. It is cold. I'm, I'm, I'm rebelling against the cold. I will only wear short sleeves from this moment till fall. No matter what happens, brought no jacket, no sweatshirt. In fact, we're going to stop selling those sweatshirts out there in a few minutes. Well, welcome to Mercy Hill Church. If you've never been here, my name is Ernie. I'm the pastor here, and it is a delight to be with you and to look at God's Word. In fact, I think you came in at an incredible time where we're going to start looking through the book of John. And uh, it is going to be, we're going to spend a long time. In the book of John. It's going to be a lot. In fact, we're going to look at these 14 verses this morning. And guys, my biggest struggle in preparing this was I had no idea how I was going to cover the width and breadth of all the things that are in these 14 verses in 35 minutes. So church is going to be two hours today. Get ready. I'm joking. You're like, oh, is he being for real? And then people are like, is it really? It's, not really? it's just there's going to be some things that intellectually you may leave, be leave, like, may leave here feeling unsatisfied because there's no way we'll be able to look at all of this. But I am excited to answer the question that I think is most important is who is Jesus Christ? Who is this person that dominates our calendar? Who is this person that celebrations go around worldwide around his birth and his death and his resurrection. Who is this person, Jesus, I believe to be the most important question we could answer and wrestle with. In fact, it is one of the questions that I love talking to people about, like who is Jesus? And often when I talk to people about who is Jesus, they often want to talk about what is Christianity. They want to talk about the people of God. They want to talk about the history of God's people. But I think we get it backwards. It doesn't matter what the people of God do or the history of the people that follow Jesus. If Jesus isn't who, if Jesus isn't who we say he is. So the most important question we can answer is who is Jesus? And there are a lot of opinions that I was able to find on the Google. Because you know when you don't know something, you go to Google, right? The almighty God of Google, giving us all the information we need. And I was wondering, what did people in history, and particularly famous people in history, think about Jesus? And so I got a couple of quotes to read to you. This is what Gandhi said. He's a man who was completely innocent, offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became a ransom of the world. It was a perfect act. So for Gandhi, Jesus was just merely a man that lived a perfect life, that he was merely a human. Maybe some of you have seen, you see Jesus the same way that Gandhi sees him, that you see him as like, man, he was just the absolute greatest person that could ever existed and did such significant things, like he lived a perfect life. And that's just who he is, just a man who lived a perfect life. Here's Albert Einstein. He's pretty smart, I think. And this is what he had to say. He said, I'm a Jew, I'm a Jew but I'm enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. Jesus is too colossal. For the pen of phrase, however artful it may be, he further said, no man can read the gospel without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. Theasis and other heroes of this type lack the authentic vitality of Jesus. 
maybe that's who Jesus is to you, is someone, is a mythical person that didn't really exist, but there's a lot that we can learn from it, follow, and be entertained by when we read about Jesus' life, but he's just a myth. Our Louis uh, Farcon, have you ever heard of him? He's the leader of the Israel, of a, excuse me, of the Islamic nation. For a while he said this, he said, no prophet before Jesus casted, no prophet before Jesus casted out demons that I can remember. Do you remember any of the old prophets casting out demons? Jesus was deep. There was something about the power of his word that demons came out. Maybe, so for him, he's a, Jesus is a prophet. Maybe that's who you are. He's a special religious guy. He's a guy that had religious significance and religious power and was uniquely touched by God in a strange way in order to do things that are significantly different than what me and you could do. Uh, Gorbachev said this, that Jesus was the first socialist, the first to seek a better life for mankind. Maybe that's your picture of Jesus, that he is a political figure meant to bring cultural change that just brings about a better today or tomorrow in our world. This is the last one I'll read. It's from a Jewish author named Shalom. He says this, Jesus Christ is to be the outstanding personality of all time, all history, both as sons of God and as a son of man. Everything he ever said or did has value for us today, and that is something you can say of no other man, dead or alive. There is no easy middle ground to stroll upon. You either accept Jesus or you reject him. I think his summation of Jesus is actually the closest of them. While all of them reflect some kind of truth of Jesus, I think they're missing the most important truth about Jesus. And as we look through John, my hope, especially for this morning, and for the Sundays afterwards in this book, that we would have a better understanding about this person, this God, and know who he is for the believer and for you guys who are not yet believers in this room. For the believer that you would understand the goodness and the delight and the magnitude and all the things that he's done that would draw your heart to him in a way that it hasn't before to bring about life for you. And for the non-believer to find life in Jesus See, John is not confused. John is the author of this book, and he is not confused about who Jesus is. In fact, he says in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, exactly why he wrote this book. And I'll read it to you. He says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The words are right there. Why John has written this book is that you would understand truly who Jesus is and you would receive life in his name. Now, John, a little bit of context. <coughs> Excuse me. That was a cough. My wife calls it a tick. <laughs> and if you're laughing, you really know a bigger story about that. That will be for another day. I don't have time for that. Uh, but John is the author of this book. He was one of Jesus' disciples. In fact, he was one of Jesus' closest disciples. And he wrote his testimony, his gospel, 
his testimony about who Jesus was after the three other Gospels were written, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and wrote it as a complimentary picture of it. In fact, he, this is the only book written to non-believers. Every other book in the Bible is written to the churches of God. This is something that's written to those who do not know Jesus. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a great place for you to start. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is a great place for you to go as well. But in this, we get a clear picture about who Jesus is through his life experience of walking along Jesus for three years during his ministry. So let's pray, and we're going to get into this passage. Uh, Jesus, I pray that you would remove the things that are in our eyes that stop us from seeing you for who you really are. I pray that you would purge the things out of our heart and our soul that stop us from loving you supremely over everything and everyone. Jesus, I pray at this moment you would give our ears clarity to hear your words, even though you'll use a human this morning to speak them. And I pray that you would, those words would pierce our hearts and transform our lives and that some people in this room would move from death to life because they finally figured out who Jesus is this morning. And the rest of us who already know who you are would fall more deeply in love with you and have more admiration and praise in our hearts and joy in our lives because we have a better understanding of our creator. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. Amen. I'm going to read our passage all the way through again. Seth did a great job reading it. He even had a guitar to help him. Mine may not be as entertaining, but it will be good. So let me just go with this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not one anything made that was made. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, all, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the one Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, what an amazing word. And look, as we look at this, that may have been like kind of a tongue twister as he's using a lot of symbolism. You're like, the light became life and light, and there's a word, and there's, the, there's this guy named John. Is this John the author? We're going to get all through that, but basically that's how you need to hear it. Is there are two characters in this, in this beginning of this story. All right, there is Jesus and there is John, and it's not talking about the author. It's talking about John the Baptist, and we'll hear a lot about him. But first, I want to start with giving a deep dive into the person of who Jesus is. And this is what John the author, not John the Baptist, says. This is what we need to see, is that Jesus is the pre-existing word. Write that down. If you have a notebook, write that down. Jesus is the pre-existing word. You're like, Ernie, why are you calling him the word? 
Like, why not call him by his name? Why is John calling him the word? In fact, the Greek word for word that's being used here is logos. All right? And John is a Jew. So we could think maybe he's using the word word as he's beginning this story because he's thinking back to Genesis, the creation of all existence, where God spoke the word, the world, into existence. That he created it by speaking it into existence. Maybe he's pointing back to that. Or maybe he's thinking about his Hellenistic crowd. Who when they hear the word word. They, the word logos would describe the reason or mind of God. I don't know what he's exactly getting at in that point. But I am very, but what is very clear is this. Is that what he is saying. Is that God is a person that has no origin story. That he pre-existed before all of creation. See, what we need to see about Jesus is that he is not just the pre-existent word, but he is the constant word. Look at what it says. We could spend an hour, by the way, on just this first verse. It says, in the beginning was the word. You see how Jesus' story starts very differently than most of our stories? And most mythical hero stories, if you want an origin story, they're going to tell you about they were born to this person. And after being born to this person, they did this thing. But John starts his gospel by saying, actually, even before anything was created, Jesus existed. He wasn't created. He was different. Look, look at it again. It says, in the beginning was the word. This is very different to how he talks about the next character in verse 6. If you look at verse 6, it says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And you may look at that and go, Ernie, those look very similar to me. You know why you don't notice it, that they're very different? It's because you don't speak Greek. All right? You don't read your Bible in Greek. And if you read your Bible in Greek, you would see the word for was there was a different word than was for John. See, in front of Jesus, where he says, was, in the beginning was the word, it said, in the beginning, emi was the word. And the word emi means to exist in, in an absolute sense. Whereas if you were to look at John, it's yeoman, which means this, to become, to be created, to be at that moment brought into existence. Now, John is not just forgetting his vocabulary. He's using that on purpose to point to a reality that we need to understand is that Jesus was not just a man that was born. His story did not start with Mary birthing him. His story started before anything and everything was ever created. That he stood in complete relationship with God. That he was God. That he existed before anything now, let me tell you something about that that's really comforting. Is that God, if he is the constant word and hasn't changed, that he's the same that he was yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he's been that way since even before time was created, then we can trust that he's going to be who he is today. We can trust that his words are true because they've always been true even before anything was created. That we could place our hope on something that is steadfast and eternal and will always be there. See, some of you, you put your hope in things that are rapidly changing. 
right? Your hope is in your finances. Man, how are you feeling right now, okay? Any of you guys that pay attention to the market? None of you because you're in college most of you. You're like, what is the market? I'm not, I'm not talking about Finley market. I'm talking, I'm talking about your 401ks that just dumped like 80%. Don't feel real good about that. That doesn't bring a lot of stability. Maybe you're placing it in the right hero, the right leader being in the right position. That the right person is going to be in office. Some of you feel like the wrong person is in office. Some of you feel like it's the right person. Guess what? In four years, we'll probably switch again. Who knows? And the ones that are feeling good will feel bad. The ones that feel bad will feel good. It's not real steadfast. But our God is constant. He's not changing. He's not changing his mind from moment to moment. He is committed to who he is. Not only is he constant, but if you look at the next phrase in verse 1, Jesus says the communal word. It says, and the word was with God. This phrase is saying that Jesus was with God. That is, he was present in the heavenlies and present with God, and he stood as a distinct person. When this phrase is taken alongside other two verses, the reality of the Trinity is completely on display. And this verse teaches us that Jesus is God, yet he is still a unique being. Now, as Christians, guys, we, you need to understand this. We believe in a triune God. We believe in the Trinity. The, Trinity. the doctrine of the Trinity is this. It means that there, are, there is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. To say it differently, we believe that there is, that God is one in essence, but three in person. And that definition expresses three crucial truths that we have to understand as Christians. That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons. Each person is fully God, and there is only one God. He is one essence and three persons. I tried thinking of some some examples to give, like H2O, like there's water and ice and gas, but it's all the same thing. But all of those things fall very short in explaining the Trinity. In fact, if this is something you're looking at and be like, Ernie, I'm a little bit confused by this. I told you there's going to be some things that you would not be intellectually satisfied by. But you'll have an opportunity because this summer we're going to be doing an equipping class called Theology 201. I would encourage you to take it because we're going to talk deeply about things like this but what we ask what we have to see is this that Jesus is in communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit all God all one essence three distinct persons but it should encourage us in this way that Jesus wasn't an afterthought that God didn't create humanity go oh man oh crap everything's going real wrong real quick let me just create Jesus and create this plan and conjure up this idea about who Jesus is so that I can, I can actually turn this boat around. No. He wasn't something conjured up. Jesus was there when God moved to make man in his own image. Jesus was there when the heavens, in the heavens when he planned to redeem the world. He was there from the very beginning. See, Jesus is the communal word, but he's also the controversial word. 
Because if you look at that last phrase, it says, and the word was God. When Jesus came preaching repentance, men thought he was strange. When he began to heal and perform miracles, men thought he was a prophet sent by God. When he spoke the word of God with power, men thought he was amazing. However, when Jesus began to claim equality with God, men thought he was crazy. They stopped. He stopped being a blessing and became a controversy when he claimed to be God. Even his disciples, Philip, would be like, hey, can you help us see the Father? And he says, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whomever has seen the Father has seen me. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? See, the, the truth we must grapple with, the thing we must understand is this, is that we have to take Jesus at his word about who he is. Many of us are willing to accept the humble Christ, the teaching Christ, the meek Christ, the dead Christ, the servant Christ. However, we give acknowledgement to the God-man Jesus Christ. It would be a foolish thing for us to take any of the views of Jesus that we listed before. In fact, C.S. Lewis said it like this. And I th think he said it very well. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher. But I don't accept his claims to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Christ said, that Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and kill him for a demon. Or you can fall, on his, fall at his feet and call him Lord God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. He's not a good moral teacher. He's not just a good example. He's not a, a mythical person. He's not a historical thing. He is 100% God and 100% man wrapped up in one. In fact, Paul would talk about this incarnation of Jesus in, a, in a, an incredible way that said that he laid aside his divinity, his advantages, and did not take hold of those, but put on flesh and dwelt among men, living within the same limitations that you and I live in. By his choice. See, Jesus is not just, um, he is not just the controversial word, but he's the creative word. Look at verse 3. It says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This verse tells us that Jesus was the energy behind creation of the universe. That he stood on the void of nothing and spoke everything into creation. Everything. In fact, Paul would talk about this in Colossians where he said, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Therefore, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things are held together. If you heard 
what I just said. Paul said that he was created, he created all things, for by him all things were created, through him all things were created, and thirdly, all things were created for him. Do you understand what Paul's saying there? It's incredible. What he's saying there, when he says by him, it means by means of him. Meaning that Jesus was the architect that thought of creation. That in the mind of Jesus, creation took took shape. That Jesus conceived the complexity of creation. That he originated the details of creation and brought them into existence by his own creative energy. Like, And by the way, the details are insane. Do you realize this? That you have 1,050 uh, trillion cells that make up your body? All unique, and Jesus designed every single one of them for every person that has ever existed and will exist. Like, do you realize this? That 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 scientists think your brain can store has a storage capacity of like a hundred thousand terabytes. I wish they would show me how to use that because I can't even remember yesterday hardly. Did you know that your eyes, your eye has forty different components? that have to work simultaneously for you to have sight. And every single one of them is completely necessary. And Jesus thought about that. From the most minute details about you to all all of creation. That was him. Guys, if I asked you to make a stool, most of you would die trying. I think the grandeur of this, just like we lose sight of what it is. See, it was by his means and it was through his power. It was through his power that through his ability, his strength, his, his actions, through what he brought to the table, that creation was made not only uh, by him, but through him. That he actually did the work. He didn't just draw up the scheme. He executed it. And that's why it's made for him. What does all this mean? Because what John wants us to know more than anything is that when you look at Jesus, you are looking at God. And because of Jesus, as we go through the book of John, every scenario that we would bump into, we would go, this is how God would deal in that situation. This is how God would deal with the lowly. This is how God would deal with failures. This is how God would deal with people who rebel against him. This is how God would deal with the prideful. This is how God would deal with us. It's not only a picture of his character, but it's also important for us to understand who Jesus was. And so as we read about his story through this book, we're going, the God of the universe did that. The God of the universe knelt down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. The God of the universe spent time with little children to help them understand the word of God. The God of the universe hung on a cross as people mocked him. Hopefully we can understand the gravity of that and be moved by the reality. Now I got a little bit of time to talk through a lot more in this passage. And we're not going to go over. But not only is Jesus the pre-existent word. But he's the personalized word. Look at verse 14. 
And it said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. He's the personalized word because he came in the incarnation. And you're like, what does that word mean? It's a $5 word that just means the bodily manifestation of a supernatural being. That God put on flesh and he dwelt among us. I want you to think about that for a second because that word dwelled is an incredible picture for us. It's like the idea of like pitching a tent with someone, not going camping with them back then. Pitching a tent means like, hey, we're going to live together. We're going to live in the same place. We're going to be in, in good relationship. And that's exactly what it is, that God himself lived among us, worked among us, prayed among us, suffered among us, died among us. And God walked upon the earth and was unrecognized by many who came into close contact with him. Is that not what the passage said? Look back at it. It said he came to his people and many of them did not recognize him. They missed it. Guys, do you see what the Bible is telling us here? The Bible is telling us that while we were enemies of God, that while we were in open rebellion against God, doomed to eternal judgment and consequences, God put on flesh. He lived as a man the life we were meant to live in perfect relationship with God. He did what Adam couldn't do and what you and I couldn't do. He died as a man and bore the sins of humanity and the judgment from the great judge the father punished sin in the person of Christ as if he actually committed those sins so that those who believed in Jesus would be treated by the judge as if they lived the life that Christ did I mean can I get an amen for that is that not good news what king what leader would ever do that to a people that are rebelling against him not one, not one in history have. No king would step down from his throne, go live amongst his, his rebels that are rebelling against him, live as one of them, live the life they were meant to live, and then die on their behalf. Not one person has ever done that for you. The only person that has is the man, Jesus Christ, the God-man. It's like, Ernie, what did he come to do? Look at verses 12 and 13. He came to build a family. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Even though many would not recognize him, some would, and they would be called children of God. Listen to me, there's a popular thing that happens in our culture that everybody's a child of God. Not everybody's a child of God. Everybody is a creation of God. But those who believe in his name get to be called children of God. And by the way, that is not by anything that you wanted to do or man could do. Look back at 13. It is by the will of God that that would be. Listen to me, church, for a second. Many of you Many of you think, especially that you are in the church, that you know God, that are in a relationship with God, you think that you're the regretted child of God. That you're the one that he wishes he can give back away, but he can't. 
That your view of God is that he is punitive and he is distant and he is uninvolved. But listen to me, God's will for us is that we would be saved, not as his creation, but as his children and his family. Is that not a beautiful thing right there? Like, is that not an incredible picture right there that you are not saved because he's like, well, I got to deal with your crap. He's saved because, no, 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 I'm going to make you a son or daughter in my household. And by the way, guys, dads never forsake their kids. Well, good dads don't. I had a good dad and he's looked at me before and said, Arnie, anything that you would do, I would never forsake you. I would never, I would, you would never not be my, you would, you would always be my son no matter what you have done. And he's a fallible human. I believe him, but he's a fallible human. God will not speak against himself. He's already called you son or daughter, and he delights in who you are and who you will be. You are already more known than you ever could imagine. You are already more seen than you could ever have, can ever believe. Because his plan for you, his plan for every single one of us, is not to bring judgment into our lives, but to bring mercy and grace and relationship. Guys, God does not want to be known as a distant historical figure. He wants to be known as your father. And you to be known as his son or daughter. That is his future for us. And he comes proclaiming, if you look back in this word, he comes as the proclamation, the proclaiming word of God, that he proclaims light and life. Look at verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus' mission was to push back the darkness in our world and the darkness in our hearts and lives and bring light so that we could see reality. So we didn't have to wonder who is God or how do we have a relationship with him or or what will it take to be in a relationship with him. We don't have to to wonder about any of those things because he wants to bring the light, his light, which would produce life. See, God is not calling you into a relationship to enslave you. But he's calling you into a relationship that you would live the life that God has for you. That is, that he would say, he'll say in John 15, is the abundant life that bears fruit in its season. What God desires for you is to pull back the curtain in the darkness of this world to reveal this is what it's all about. And this is who I am. And this is how you can be a son or daughter of the king. That's what John is saying about Jesus in these few verses. I want to take a second look at the other character. Look back at verse 6, and this is where we're going to end. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The John he is talking about is not the author. It's someone we're going to see later in the story called John the Baptist. And he was sent before Jesus to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God. And would later baptize Jesus and point at him and say, there is the perfect lamb of God. That he would proclaim the coming Messiah that Israel had been waiting for for so long. Now, I think there's something unique about John that points towards every single one of us. If that is who God is, what we've been talking about for the last 34 minutes, I think we're meant to follow the same pattern as John the Baptist in this story. 
Now, quick question, is John saving anybody? No, he's not. He's called a witness. He's called, he's, see, he, what John does in this story is he doesn't become the person by means that they're saved by him. He points to the person that will save humanity. And that is every single one of us in this room. John gets to do it in the prelude. But later, Jesus would say to his disciples and those that would come after that are all his disciples and say, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Behold, I'm with you always to the ends of the ages. Or in Acts 1-8, before he leaves, saying, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What God is calling his people to do is not to save anyone, not to change anyone's belief, but to testify about the truth that they have witnessed in a relationship and in the person of Jesus Christ. See, God's work is salvation. God's work, Jesus' work, was salvation. Our work is to testify about what we've seen, what we've experienced and what those who we trust in the word of God have showed us. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much that your origin story is different than others. For without your story, Lord, we would be lost. Without your story, we would have no hope and we would be in our sin. But Lord, you loved us in such a way that instead of running from us, you ran towards us that God stepped down from his throne, put on flesh, lived the life we're meant to live so that we could be children of God. God, and I pray that the children of God in this room would testify of the truth of who you are. They would share and delight in the trueness of this. God, it is so easy for us to dismiss these things because they are so big and so grand. They seem utterly impossible to hold on to or even to grasp. But Lord, I pray that we would just grasp it just a little bit more this morning. That the God of the universe who preexisted before all of creation showed up. And the story we're reading in John is not a story about a good person. But it's the king of the universe. So, Lord, I pray our hearts would be at awe. And as we begin to worship you in song, we would pour out all the praise and honor that you are deserving to have. Because you weren't just a man. You weren't a political movement. You were on a rescue mission. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Amen.